Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Good morning, and I'm really glad to see so many of you here. If you missed Friday night, our night of worship, you really missed a great time. I don't know when we're going to do the next one of those, but I, I want to start urging you now to make it. It was, it was just phenomenal. I, I, uh, they wrapped up, and Angela kind of nodded for me to come over and take the mic, and I'm like, what? It cannot be that time already. I felt like we'd just gotten started, like we were maybe 15 or 20 minutes into this. The time just flew by, and, and the Lord brought forth some words, and we're going to hear a little bit of, about that later. But uh, what, a, what a refreshing and uh, powerful time it was. This morning, uh, I'm, uh, I, I, I do need to talk to you a little bit uh, about this whole coronavirus thing. Uh, because I want to dispel some myths and make sure that we leave here with a little more of an understanding about what's really going on with all these cancellations and quarantines and everything else. Uh, and I, I don't mean to, uh, and, and I will tell you up front, I am fighting a cold. And I am, I am beating a cold. But don't freak, oh my goodness, the pastor's got the sniffles. And he's talking about coronavirus, okay? I, <sighs> Riley and I shared a sandwich. I got it from him the other day or something, I don't know. Anyway, uh, first the disease itself. I don't, I don't want to treat you guys like you're ignorant. I know a lot of what I'm saying you know, but I also know from Facebook that a lot of these things you don't know, <laughs> some of you anyway. So bear with me. Most of this I'm sure will be familiar to you. Uh, there's two things to remember, and the first thing to remember is the disease itself is not a death sentence, all right? Even if you become infected, uh, you know, it's still early in the game, but it looks like the most at-risk people are those over 80. And uh, for those, it's, uh, you know, on the, on the worst-case scenario, it looks like it might be fatal 15% of the time for those over 80. And that's not good. Don't get me wrong, but it's not like, oh, no, coronavirus equals death. Um, it drops down sharply uh, below that percentage the younger you are. Uh, the younger you are, the less likely this is going to uh, be a major hurdle at all. The overall fatality rate is somewhere between 0.5% and 5%, and we're going to address this. This is very fluid, but it's fluid for a reason. Uh, and that's still, even on the low end, that's much higher than the flu. So that's one of the things to remember is uh, it's not really quite accurate to say, oh, it's just the flu. They're panicking over just the flu. It's not just the flu. It's something different. We're going to talk about those differences. Uh, it's not a new thing. We know that. One of the memes that kept popping up on my, in my news feed or in my uh, social media is somebody has taken a picture of a can of Lysol and circled where it says it kills the coronavirus and say, see, it's a conspiracy. The coronavirus isn't new. It's already on the Lysol can. No, coronavirus isn't new. Uh, it's been around. It's the same type of virus that's behind several uh, flu outbreaks or different kinds of disease outbreaks over the last several years. Uh, and if you want to, and I'm not an epidemiologist, okay, and I'm not a virologist, so a lot of this stuff is stuff I've absorbed over the last few days reading about this. But it is interesting to go back and look at the uh, origin of coronavirus. It goes back to bats, I think, uh, in the uh, final analysis which is why we don't celebrate Halloween here. Uh, <laughs> this is novel coronavirus. This is a new strain of the co coronavirus that when it infects people, transmits a disease called COVID-19, coronavirus disease 2019. Now, the 19 is simply because that's the year it was first diagnosed. All right? Um, there are some differences that make this a particularly dangerous bug. And uh, on one hand, it's not as deadly as, for instance, uh, SARS was. Uh, in terms of the disease, your chances of dying when you got SARS was much higher than your chance of dying if you get uh, COVID-19. Uh, but there are a couple things that make it more dangerous in terms of its, uh, uh, the, the pandemic aspect. 
uh, it's more dangerous and spreading like crazy because of at least two things. And number one is this. It is highly contagious. It's highly contagious because it can survive outside a human host. You know, it can't do the damage. It can't multiply. You know, what, what, what does a virus do? This is where I need a virologist to come up and explain this. But it gets into your body, sets up shop in your cells, and starts using your cells to manufacture more of itself. Okay? But it needs a body to do that. Uh, if, but this virus, what would you say? Replicate. Thank you. Uh, but uh, this virus can survive on surfaces like metal, uh, plastic, ceramic for up to nine days, which is extraordinarily, uh, an extraordinarily long time uh, for something like this. And so once it's on a surface, it's easy to be picked up by somebody else unless that surface is disinfected. Um, and so you start thinking about uh, shopping cart handles, elevator buttons, <clears throat> excuse me, dishes, countertops, Water fountains, coffee pots, uh, money. Uh, money's not one of, the, one of those types of surfaces, but still. But you'll understand when you realize how many surfaces, and this is how it happens. I mean, you saw me, I, I, I was talking to another pastor. Uh, he called me this week, a guy here in St. Joe, are you guys having services? I said, yeah, we're just encouraging the whole social distance thing and maybe do fist bumps or, or toe taps or whatever. I said, you know, this whole, I said, it's ludicrous this whole don't touch your face, he's in this guy, and he interrupted me. He says, I touch my face 500 times just during a sermon. I said, I do too. My mustache starts to tickle my nose, and I do that. And now here, you know, I just kind of do that. So, all right, so I do that, something innocuous. I'm not picking my nose. I'm not blowing my nose in my hand. I just do that, and then I go like this. Or, you know, I get a drink, grab a shopping cart, and then that thing is there, and then another person comes along, and another person, and another person. And then you see why you can't buy a can of Lysol or a tube of uh, Clorox wipes because people want to disinfect everything. And that's good. We, again, we don't get into fear. But the other thing, that, and this is super important to understand the spread of this, is that uh, it has a long incubation period. The flu, uh, anywhere from one to four days after you are exposed to the flu, you will manifest symptoms. It's like 14 days for the coronavirus. And that means, and, and during those 14 days, even though you're not symptomatic, you are contagious. So for 14 days, people walk around touching things, you know, and not just your nose, your eyes, your mouth, and dropping these things off. And so, the, so this is what is, has been, you know, this is when it starts to look scary if you wanted to get into fear. And we don't, and we're not going to. But the whole pandemic thing happens because by the time they have confirmed 100 cases, there's probably 2,000 or maybe 10,000. You, you see this graph. I did a lot, like I said, I did a lot of reading. If you're interested, I will, forward, I will forward you what I consider to be the best presentation. It's a very straightforward study uh, about how this thing progressed there in China. And there's like a superimposed graph between actual cases and confirmed cases when they discovered it. They had to do a lot of detective work going back and figure out how many people were actually infected. We'll come back to that in a second. Uh, but then, that's why these case counts are shooting up. It's not that there are an extra number of people catching it every day. It's just that symptoms are manifesting and they are diagnosing these cases. The disease is here, but people are going about their business, not sneezing, not coughing, just touching their face and then touching other stuff. For 14 days. So when you hear all this stuff about self-quarantining, social distancing, and the world shutting down for two weeks, this is why. It won't kill the virus for us to do that, but it will arrest and slow down the spread long enough for us to get a handle on how many infections there are. And, <clears throat> excuse me, one other important thing. This is the phrase you've probably heard. And once I understood this phrase, it helped me understand the whole, the importance of social distancing and all this other stuff. It's called flattening out the curve. Have you heard this phrase this week? Flattening out the curve. And this is where, if I were a little more on the ball, I would have had a visual aid. It would have been very helpful. But bear with me. Once the disease, once there's a pocket, when you've got more than one or two patients, and it starts, and these cases start to multiply, uh, I can't remember what that count is, but once there are a certain number of confirmed cases, that number will double every day. 
This, everywhere it's been, this has been the pattern. And so you see this graph, and you see a line of cases, and it starts to go up like this, and then it starts to go up like this, and it becomes exponential. And so what you get is this curve, you know, the old bell curve, number of people that get infected, and then they recover. Uh, but every inch, every degree above a certain line, and this line, this is why I really wanted you to see the visual aid for it. You got this graph, and you got this curve, and you got this line. This line represents the maximum number of people our healthcare system can treat at any given time. It's a finite number. There are only so many hospital rooms. There are only so many doctors and nurses. There are only so many breathing machines. Only so many beds. And every person, every single person above that number is at a higher risk. And so the idea, and this is where this, and let me, let me put another qualifier on here. I could have put this in at the beginning. It would have helped. Everything I'm sharing with you so far, there it is. There it is. Everything I'm sharing with you so far is leaving God out of the picture. We'll call it under the sun. You guys ever read Ecclesiastes? And this phrase, under the sun, under the sun, all is vanity and chasing after the wind, everything under the sun. This is Solomon's way of saying without God in the picture. There's a lot of wisdom in Ecclesiastes, a lot of truth, but it's truth within, within a particular context. And so everything I'm sharing in the first part of this is under the sun, all right? But there it is. How many uh, very sick people uh, hospitals can treat? And there's, look how many can be above the line. And never mind the numbers, that's just a picture of it. Now, the idea, according to this guy who put this study together, is that it is too late to stop the spread of this virus. A certain number of people, it's inevitable, are going to be infected. The idea is to spread those infections out over time so that at any given time, the number of infected people is below that line. Because if everybody gets sick at once, then the fatality rate, the difference then is a fatality rate, instead of 0.5%, is 5%. Now they're saying, worst case scenario, 60 million Americans could be infected by this. I don't want to see that. But if only 10 million Americans get infected, the difference between a 0.5% and 5% fatality rate is 50,000 people dead or 500,000 people dead. This is why, and this is when we start hearing about lockdowns, quarantines, self-isolation, social distancing, these things have worked in China They've worked in South Korea. They've worked extraordinarily, extraordinarily well in Taiwan. If, for instance, uh, they had instituted a worldwide travel ban uh, within a week of discovering this disease, it would not be here today. But you know you and I wouldn't have put up with that. Two weeks ago, we wouldn't have put up with that. Even this week, we're really not putting up with it. Everybody's going crazy. They're trying to restrict our freedom. They're, they're, they're just, it's all panic. It's not. It might not be the best thing, but it's probably the best thing we have left in terms of how we're going to combat this under the sun. Under the sun. Without God in the picture, as a society. So I really want to say, don't get mad at the government. Don't suspect them. They really, and don't buy into this, it's all, it's all political. I promise you. These universities and sports teams and businesses did not voluntarily give up billions of dollars of income for a political cause. Right? They're just not going to do it. This, is, this country is way too capitalistic. So they're doing what they're doing because it really does seem like the best thing to do under the circumstances. And if we can go, we can't, obviously we can't all live in caves, but if we can seriously limit being out there where we're touching things people have touched and everything else for two weeks, then we'll have a better handle on just how many people have been infected. Why? Because we are limiting the number of new infections and we're getting through those 14 days to see how many new cases appear. And for two weeks, it might look like we haven't got a handle on this, but then it will peak and it'll begin to drop off. Again, it won't stop, but it will level off and stay under the line. And this is where it comes down to you and me 
loving our neighbors. That's what it's about. This isn't about you getting sick. Again, the odds are, for most of us in this room, if we do get sick, the vast majority of us are going to recover from this after having only experienced mild flu-like symptoms. But what have you heard me say so many times when we're talking about the blessings of our salvation? It's not all about you. It's not all about, I'm not afraid of this thing. Number one, I'm the healed of God. Number two, if, even if, I, if sickness touches me, I'm going to recover. But those germs are real and you can still carry them. It's not, just, it's not just about you not getting sick. It's about you not carrying this disease to somebody who can get sick. All right. Now, uh, I got too far off my uh, notes here to figure out where I, what I have left. Uh, again. Leaving God out of the picture, I shared with you uh, this, again, all this, uh, don't buy too quickly into the conspiracy thing. Probably the most alarming thing I heard was this, what's it, this Extreme Powers Act that the city of Champaign took. A lot of cities have this on their books, but the Champaign's the first one to kind of publicly and invoke this thing. I mean, they haven't invoked it yet, but they made national news for, uh, for, the, for the measures they took. So keep an eye on that. We don't want to give them all of our rights, right? But uh, the, uh, these things will work if we're, if we're patient. Here's what I want to say. There are a few more things I want to say before I, I want you to hear from a couple of other people. Is that it looks like you know, number one, I love that this country is willing to make the sacrifices it's making to protect the most vulnerable in the middle of this crisis. You know, the country's not saying, hey, look, it's too important for us to keep cranking out this money and keep the economy up. Uh, every man for himself. Most people are going to be okay. And then just kind of blowing off the fact that uh, 15% of those 80 and older will die if we don't do something about this. They're not taking that attitude at all. It's what can we do to protect as many people as possible. And I love that about this country. Um, But already people are saying that the economic impact of the next few weeks is going to be much more damaging than the actual medical impact, the health, the the direct health-related impact because of lost revenue and so many closings and layoffs and everything else. I've got good news for you, putting God back in the picture. God is my healer, and God is my provider, and yours too. We can't get into fear on any front of this battle. Now is not the time to shrink back in fear. This is a time, I think, perhaps unlike any other time in my life, where, uh, where the church needs to rise up and be the church and publicly demonstrate our trust in the Lord. I wanted you to hear this from, uh, from the worship night. This is something that Emily, <clears throat> the Lord, I believe, spoke through Emily uh, in the, during, during the praise. It wasn't after, it wasn't before, it was during the, in between songs. Do we have that? Can we play that? church that sees me for who I am, not who sees everything else around them, not who sees circumstances, not who sees fear and gives into it. I am coming back from a church that does not just look like it's doing something. I am coming back for a church that is doing something, that is looking to me, that has its eyes fixed on me. And sees me for who I am, for what I do, for how I operate, and for how I desire to operate through you. I am coming back not for a building, not for a look, not for an act, not for a movement. I am coming back for my body. And my body needs to move. 
Start working. Start being the body. Let my love drive you to action. Get out of your complacency. Step out of your apathy. It is time to be active right now more than ever. It is time to be active because when a world is going crazy around you, going crazy around you, you are the light. You are the light. You are the city on the hill. I'm not there to be the city on the hill. You are the city on a hill. Living Word Family Church in St. Joseph, Illinois is the city on a hill. Light it up! Glory to God. Light it up. Hallelujah. We had a few other things that were said. Zach, come on up here. Zach sent me something yesterday. He said he was just rolling that around, rolling that around, and God laid something on his heart that I really wanted to I wanted him to share as well before I go on. Good morning, everyone. Uh, yeah, so first off, to re- echo what Scott said, the night of worship was awesome. I know God spoke to me about some things. I know he spoke to some other people individually as well, and he spoke to us as a church, as we just heard. And as I was thinking about that Saturday morning, you know, during my quiet time, and um, there was just what, it felt like what we heard was different than something that what we usually hear. You know, when we hear a word from God during the service, it's obviously very um, positive, usually. And I kind of called Emily and confirmed with her. Um, but what I feel like what we heard Friday night was something that was all, it was positive, but it was also very challenging. It was very much of you, you have done good. You have been living word family church, but like it said, don't get stuck in your complacency. We need to keep acting. And the, um, verse, section that kind of came to mind was in Revelation, where Jesus is addressing the different churches. And um, the one section that came to me um, was, it was actually when he was speaking to the dead church, which when I told Scott this, is like, I don't think it's because we're dead. I think it's just because the words matched up. And it's Revelation 3, verse starting in verse 2. Um, well, actually, starting in verse 1, I think it's kind of cool. He says, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive. And how fitting is it that we're living word, family, church. Uh, but then jumping down to verse 2, it says, Be watchful and strengthen the thing which remain, that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know um, what hour I will come upon you. And it was, I read that, and I think about what Emily, what God spoke through Emily. It's just, it's, it's challenging, but it's also encouraging. It's God's, I feel like God's just saying, you have all the groundwork. You have everything laid out for you. You can't get stuck in your comfort, you can't get stuck in what the world says. You have my power, and now act on my power. And that's just, that's why I felt what very, very he good. was speaking to us that night. And so I wanted to share that with you guys. I agree. Good word. Thank you. Now, you see, we've been pressing towards something for the last several weeks now. Uh, remember, I, I think the, the phrasing I've used more than once is uh, a, a determination in this church to take a more aggressive posture when it comes to our expectation of the miraculous. We're a church that believes in the miracles. We're theologically correct on the, on the spiritual gifts. But let's be proactive and speak and create this atmosphere of expectation. For what? For healings in our midst. And to go out there and do the work. And it's kind of like he's been building us up, building us up. And now is a moment where we get to demonstrate that and see that, that we didn't anticipate. 
We're thinking about the people in our church more than anything else. And now it's a matter of protection and walking out that healing power and being courageous out there in the middle of what the world is calling a pandemic. So, and it makes me think of that, and I've shared this before, uh, Pastor Scott Webb, when he was pastoring uh, in Birmingham, Alabama, he had uh, a book of healing scriptures that he had compiled, I think. And I can't remember how many verses there were. But he uh, encouraged people to get this book and told them, he had a contest, the first person who could memorize the scriptures in this book and correctly recite them, he was going to give them $1,000. And there was a, a single mother in that church who, as soon as she heard that, she said, that's it. Uh, she had some financial needs, and she just felt that God spoke to her. This is what I want you to do. And she's like, that $1,000 is mine. She started pouring through this book, and she memorized it. She learned it. She learned it. She learned it. She learned it fast. And starting the next week or whenever it was, Pastor Webb said, all right, everybody, nobody gets more than one shot at this. How many of you uh, think you could do it today? And there were a handful of people who thought they were ready, and somebody else got picked. And so this girl's like, I know she's going to blow it, and I'll get my chance. And she did it right. The very first person who got up and tried did it. And this poor, poor girl, her faith, she's just like, oh, no. I just know that the Lord really stirred me up to do this. And I, not only did I not win the $1,000, I didn't even get a shot. And then later that week, she was cooking something, and her, I don't know, her toddler somehow reached up and grabbed the edge of a pan and just dumped boiling water all over himself. And she... Without hesitating, scoops this baby up and starts speaking. All those scriptures that she had buried in her heart, that she had burned into her mind, they just came flowing out. And she said she saw this, this baby's skin had begun to blister already, and it just went down and went back to normal before her eyes. And she realized, ah, that's why God urged me to learn these scriptures. And so we think, well, we're, we're ready to see some glory in the middle of our church. We're ready. And we do. It's not one or the other. I just think this is a matter of God expanding our vision. He's getting us pumped up to see miracles in our midst. And it's like, aha, there's a pandemic. And uh, God gave me this picture that I shared Friday night of living word kind of being the epicenter of something great, a great healing work, a great source of comfort and power and provision uh, that starts in here because of the spirit of God and the spirit of expectation that we have among us. So, meanwhile, what is this going to look like? I don't know what this world is going to look like at the end of the day, let alone the end of the week. Do you see how fast things changed just this week? You talk about a fluid situation. One day I'm shocked that they're going to have the NCAA tournament without crowds, and the next day they're not having the NCAA tournament. Uh, but God does know what it's going to look like. He's not in panic mode. God's not worried about where the next roll of toilet paper is coming from, the next bottle of hand sanitizer, and we can trust him. Meanwhile, there are a couple of specific principles that we need to cling to from the get-go. You can open your Bibles if you want to Galatians chapter 6, and I'll begin my sermon. Galatians 6, beginning in verse 6, says this. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season... We shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those of the household of faith. So I guess there's three principles. The first one in verse 6 means share your toilet paper and hand sanitizer with your pastor. I'm kidding. We got, we got plenty. We have plenty of toilet paper anyway. Uh, no, the principles are these. Take care of one another in the church. And as we have opportunity, 
take care of our neighbors. In fact, we should look at, you know, it says, do good unto all, especially those of the household of faith. That really does mean look out for family first. Make sure we're good. But it's not just, okay, we're good. Now we can share. It's we should look at taking care of one another as a means of taking care of our neighbors. It's kind of you know, the old mission, uh, mission first, men always. You take care of the men in your company, in the military, or in your platoon, or in your battalion, in your unit. You take care of them so that together we can take care of the mission. All right? We will love our neighbors more effectively if we are loving one another as the Lord loves us. Okay? Now, practically, here's some things. And you guys, I would love some suggestions from you. All right? Not, hey, pastor, here's what you can do. But here are some suggestions that we as individuals, that we as a church family can do. Uh, and just a couple of them, off, and these are, were just kind of off the top of my head this morning. You know, it's thrown some people. I saw a really funny post the other day. How many people are stuck babysitting their grandparents' grandchildren, or their parents' grandchildren this week? How many people are stuck babysitting their parents' grandchildren this week? Meaning you've got your kids at home, all right? Uh, there, this has thrown some people for a loop. And uh, some, peop- some of these kids, some of the older ones are going to be left at home. And there are some families, pro- maybe not so many in St. Joe, but some are, are concerned. Hey, look, this is where, uh, this is where my kids' uh, first meal or first two meals, meals of the day come from. Can you offer to help, uh, help out with groceries? Maybe help uh, prepare a meal for somebody, a neighbor? Um, if you know somebody who needs help with food and meals. Uh, maybe you can deliver groceries or supplies to those who are not supposed to be out and about. Like I said, we've got at least two people in, in our congregation who are under doctor's orders before all this uh, not to be out and about in the public because of co- uh, compromised immune systems. Um, so maybe you can uh, deliver groceries and, and uh, make sure that these, just check up on them. Hey, is there anything we can bring you? And uh, make sure that they know they're, that they're not putting you out. Uh, and maybe sharing, maybe if you're, I read an article, a news article the other day about a guy who has nearly 20,000 bottles of hand sanitizer that nobody will let him sell now. He, this is how the guy made his living uh, for the last several years, is he watches trends on Amazon, and then he goes around and buys stuff, and then he sells it. And, uh, of course, he's being sharply criticized for profiting off this crisis, and he's like, look, I went around to country dollar stores where there's not a shortage of this stuff, and I bought it up, and I'm willing to ship it all over the place where there are shortages. And he's talking about his markup. He said, my markup, it's not extreme. It's just a matter of covering my cost and my legwork. And it looks like, if you, if you take the numbers in the article, it didn't seem like he was really gouging anybody. But now he's sitting on this stockpile of stuff that hospitals need, that churches need, that individuals need, and they, nobody will let him sell it. Amazon shut him down. eBay shut him down. So if you're sitting on a stockpile of some of this stuff, consider sharing some of your precious resources. The supply chain is going to be up and running very soon, okay? It's not like there is a world, this isn't a resource issue. It's a matter of shipping, getting it from the places where it is to the places where it needs to be, and that'll catch up pretty quickly. I think the toilet paper thing is just about under control, but man, you can't find a can of Lysol or a bottle of Germex or Purell in Champaign County as far as I know. If you've got a line on that, let me know. Uh, we have to remember again, I know you've heard this dozens of times this week, not to operate in fear. We are not, when we talk about the quarantine and the cleanliness, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. You don't need a gallon of Purell. You need to wash your hands at every opportunity. If you touched a counter, if you touched a, a a belt, a conveyor belt in the grocery store, you ought to wash your hands at the first opportunity. But I don't have antibacterial soap. Newsflash, all soap is antibacterial. That's, that's a, you can check, check with your doctor on that. That's true. Um, so, but use soap and water and wash thoroughly. Don't, but don't do this in fear. We do this because we truly love our neighbor. We should avoid putting ourselves out there where we can become part of the problem. Touching things and spreading them around without ever knowing it. There's a difference between doing this out of fear and out of love. And here's what I mean. Uh, first things, first, spiritually, be speaking healing over you and your household. 
But one of the things that I want you to see is I can speak that over me and declare, and I'm not, I'm not fearful about this. We're not germaphobes in our house. We don't really worry about getting sick. Uh, and we speak healing. I'm speaking to this cold. Uh, I experienced a miraculous healing at the beginning of this week that I've told a handful of you about. Uh, but I don't have the liberty to share that whole story yet. Uh, so I'm not concerned about this. But again, as I mentioned in my uh, a, a letter recently, uh, germs really are real. Viruses are real. And we can still carry these things. And we don't want to carry these to people who don't have faith. But I do. I want to encourage you to this. This kind of... Uh, Got me excited. In Ephesians chapter 6, I just thought of this last night, a couple nights ago actually. In Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, when we look at that shield of faith, this is what kind of got me excited. There's a big difference between quenching the fiery dart and deflecting the fiery dart. We can walk through the marketplace and say, I'm not worried about this. These bugs will bounce right off me. But ricocheted bullets kill people too. I want to see these things quenched. I want to be so saturated with faith and the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that this bug doesn't bounce off me, it dies when it hits me. Go read the story, read the, uh, some, some stuff that tells you about John G. Lake and guys like this, working in South Africa in the middle of the bubonic plague, going into houses where people were afraid to go and dragging the dead bodies out, stacking them up in graves, sometimes three or four to a grave, and people would come to deliver supplies and say, how are you surviving in the middle of this? And this is exactly what he said. I, have got, I am surrounded by the truth of the word of God and these, the, the plague germs, they die when they touch me. And he lived that out. He didn't just go visit there for a week. He was there through the midst of this, preaching and healing people, but also burying people, but never getting touched by the plague himself. So uh, that's what I want to confess. Why not? Why not? This is what the Bible says we can do, right? Quench every fiery dart, the shield of faith. I'm going to read you uh, one more thing, and then we're going to pray. This was from Tony Cook. Sent it to me yesterday. Because there's, uh, and I got, I don't know, probably a dozen messages or phone calls or something this week asking what we were going to do about church. Because a number of churches have had to cancel and uh, as I mentioned in my, in my note to you guys, that, that's a reasonable thing to do for certain congregations. This isn't about judgment. But let me, uh, let me read you this that uh, Tony sent me. This is, he said, thanks to Derek Webster of Grace Point Church in Chicago area for this. And this is from a place, uh, it says Conduit Church. Conduit Church will, one, live as good citizens with our neighbors. We'll comply and help as much as we are able. We'll live kindly with respect toward everyone around us. Two, we will display our hope and confidence in God. Three, we will be unafraid of death. Four, we will continue to gather together personally. If a limit of 250 people is set, then we'll gather in 250s. If a limit of 50, we'll gather in 50s. If a limit of 25, we will gather in 25s. If we are told not to gather, we will gather anyway. The church in history has gathered behind locked doors, in public parks, and on boats. We've gathered under extreme duress with the rationale and weight of the world against us. Five, we will show grace. We are not legalistic. Missing a Sunday gathering is not a sin. Sick happens. Sometimes a Sunday gathering can't be made for other reasons. The church has never excluded those who were unable to participate regularly. But it is our pattern and discipline to gather together. 
Six, we will gather personally. I'm convinced that church is not an online proposition. Online can help facilitate church. We love technology and we'll leverage technology, but church is not about simply gathering to watch a show. Church is about teaching each other, encouraging each other, praying for each other, warning each other, exercising our Holy Spirit gifts with respect to one another, and so on. Church is personal, local, and deeply spiritual. Seven, we'll be non-judgmental. There is no judgment for any church or Christian who has closed their doors or decided not to gather. That's between you and God. Act according to your spiritual conscience and convictions. Eight, we will love fearlessly. They'll know we are Christians by our love for one another. We'll love selflessly, be patient. Now is a great time for the fruit of the Spirit to show through. Nine, we'll be on a mission with Jesus. That has always meant going where others dare not go. The leper, the sick, the outcast, the locked, the locked in included. And ten, we will be personally responsible and accountable. We all make choices. We have to own them. Remember, you are also teaching and encouraging others by the choices you make. I thought that was pretty good. Pretty good, especially about the gathering there. So we're going to pray here in a second. I, I echo what Pastor Mike said. I'm thankful for a president who, whatever his flaws, has uh, boldly declared this to be a national day of prayer. And uh, another thing that pops up and something we're going to kind of pray about, well, I'll address it before we pray, is, is this, as always happens when there's any kind of tragedy, is this judgment? Is God pouring out his judgment on America for, for instance, the sin of abortion and this sort of thing? Uh, I don't see it that way. Uh, Has America done things that invite uh, invite judgment? Yeah, yeah, it has. Uh, But we know scripturally two things. We see them, and the best example of this is Abraham bargaining with God over the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember who Abraham was really concerned about? He was concerned about Lot. But Abraham's point of arguing with God when God said he's going to destroy the cities, he says, you're a righteous God, and surely you won't sweep away the righteous with the wicked. Now, if I'm God and I'm determined to wipe out the wickedness in this city, and if Abraham's right about me, that I'm not going to sweep away the righteous with the wicked, what do I do as God? I get the righteous out. Or I put them in a shield and, and, and protect them from the judgment I'm getting ready to pour out. All God had to say was, don't worry, I'll protect your family, but I'm still wiping out the city. I think Abraham would have been satisfied with that. But what did God say? Oh, if there's a certain number, I'll spare the whole city. God shows his hand there. This is what I really want you to pray for. Because what I want to do is spare people, not judge people. Judgment has to come. But Abraham, you're my covenant guy. You asked me to, and I'll spare the whole city. For your sake, not for Lot's sake, but for yours. What's he say to us? If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, I will hear from heaven and heal their land. Who's he going to do it for? Does that mean God's going to say, that's okay, I don't care about the sin, of the sin of the world, the sin of the nation? He's certainly not saying, I don't care about you guys. Sorry, you're my kids, but you live in a nation that's made me mad and I'm going to pour out my judgment. It's not what he's saying at all. I'll hear from heaven if you guys will pray. Turn from your wicked ways. My people turn from their wicked ways. He doesn't say if my people can convince this whole country to turn from their wicked ways, but if my people will turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, I will hear from heaven and heal their land. And this land is my land. This land is your land, right? This land is your land. This land is my land. From the what? From California to the... All right. Forest to the... This land was made for you and me. Praise the Lord, made for you and me. Uh, And this land, this is the land we're going to pray for. Uh, But I I would prefer just to see this as a... uh, it, It doesn't matter. This is a manifestation, ultimately, of the fall of mankind. It's a manifestation of the sinfulness and the brokenness of this whole world, and we have been given authority over it. So let's pray. Amen? Why don't you stand up with me? Praise and worship team, if you want, you can be making your way up here. If you can pray and walk at the same time.
But let's start with this. Um, If my people will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, seek my face. Uh, So let's acknowledge that there just might be something in our lives, personally, or as a church, that we need to humble ourselves about. This is what happened, by the way, when I talk about my miraculous healing and the handful of people in here who've heard it this week will testify that it was was pretty dramatic. But I had been praying and speaking, and then God showed me something where I needed to humble myself, and that practically from the moment I did, I experienced a complete manifestation. So this is a good place to start. Uh, So uh, you can do this with me, but... Don't feel obligated if it's something that's difficult for you physically. If you'd just rather not, as your pastor uh, leading you, I'm going to kneel before God uh, as your representative here. I know that, that I'm not your priest, that we are all priests. But as the pastor of this congregation, I'm going to kneel as I, as I begin to pray here. Uh, and then we'll just pray as the Spirit leads. But what are we praying for? Praying for deliverance from this. We're praying for healing, that God will eradicate this plague Uh, Not just from our house, not just from our church, not just from our town, but from the face of the earth. And that he'll help us to walk in wisdom in the the midst of all that. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, you're a good God. And uh, I want to start just by thanking you and praising you for your greatness, for your goodness, for your holiness thanking you for making us your family calling us to yourself for saving us and redeeming us Father we want to be reminded today that you've saved us and redeemed us for a purpose not just to get us out of hell but to use us as part of your redemptive plan for mankind Uh, and Father we're not so foolish as to thank you for this plague that's on the earth now this, this pandemic Uh, But we know there's good in everything. And if we can pull one good thing out out of this is that it might serve as a wake-up call for some. And, Lord, it gives us an opportunity to be what so many can't be. That we can be confident. That we can be brave. That we can be fearless in the midst of this. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to show the world what trusting you looks like. Thank you for making us this city set on a hill, shining the spotlight on your church. That the, that the world would see that there is indeed a line between your people, a distinction between your people and those who are opposed to you. And that the way they see that difference, Lord, causes them to want to cross that line to being your people. Father, first of all, I pray that you grant us wisdom, that you grant us supernatural insight in exactly how we approach this. Your word says that if any of us lack wisdom, we're to ask of you, and you give it to us liberally, abundantly, without reproach. So give us wisdom. Give us specific wisdom. Tell us what to do, how to walk, how to act, how to respond give us the courage and the resources to respond in accordance to that to that wisdom we declare lord that you are our provision you are our supply in the midst of this that you've not only promised to meet our needs but lord we declare that we are going to have an abundance so that we can continue to give to every good work so that we can continue to be a blessing to one another and to our neighbors and help us to do that in a way that brings glory to you We declare, Lord, that you are our healer. That though a thousand may fall at our side and ten thousand at our right hand, it will not come near us. We will only see it with our eyes. We declare that we and our households are healed and protected from this. But Father, we don't want it to stop there. Help us to be, uh, rather than carriers of this disease, help us to be carriers and conduits of your healing power. Help people look and see, ah, there's a difference uh, percentage-wise. People over 80 uh, seem to get it here. People uh, under this age seem to not get it here. But wow, the believers, they're not getting it at all. (laughs) 
Help them to see the difference that you're making in our midst. And, to, and, and for them to call on you, on you as their Lord, their Savior, their healer, and their supply. We ask for your protection on this nation. Lord, we know we have sinned. And that we as a believers have been somewhat complicit in that over the years by perhaps our inattention, perhaps not exercising our freedoms and our rights when we needed to at crucial times. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us and open our eyes and grant us wisdom there too. Help us to sort through all of the noise and all of the background to see what the important issues are and grant us wisdom on who to vote for, who to write to, what measures to take so that this nation can truly again be one nation under God. We pray, Lord, for those leaders starting at the local level and up through the the halls of, of state government and our governor. We pray for our senators and representatives in Washington and those who have been tasked with overseeing the nation's response to this health crisis. And, uh, of course, Lord, we pray for our president that you would continue to surround them with people who are wise and who are wise not just in the ways of medicine and government, but wise in the word and confident in the word, that you would surround them with people who truly know you and know how to apply godly wisdom even to this crisis. We pray for their health. We pray for their protection. We pray for their strength. And we pray for good, godly leadership to flow down through all the halls of power and public service to where it benefits this country the most. Ultimately, Lord, there is a way through this that brings you glory. And that's what we want our heart to be. We don't want just to not be sick. We don't want just not to see the economy fail. We want to see you glorified through every bit of this. And we want to be able to come out on the other side to hear you say, well done. Well done, church, the way you, you, you uh, walked through this trial. And it will strengthen us. It will strengthen us, Lord, because we know that as long as we're here, there will be trouble. But as we walk through one trial after another, our trust in you grows that you will never leave us, never forsake us. You have never failed us, Lord, and you've promised never to fail us. So thank you for the confidence, for the peace that we have in knowing that you, the great God, the one God, the creator of heaven and earth, are our God, our Father, our friend, our supply, our healer. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for making that way for us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for indwelling us and empowering us to be everything, Lord, that you've called us to be in your word. We give you all these things, all these thanks, and we ask all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all the church said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.